Radio. Reading the Sacred Text, a series by Dr. Robert Tilley on why the Bible is Catholic, on cradio.org.au. In Romans chapter 3, verses 1 to 2, St. Paul asks, What advantage did the Jews have over the Gentiles, that is, non-Jews? And St. Paul answers by saying, that Israel had been given the very oracles of God. That is, Israel was blessed, not least because they had been given the words of the Lord, the word of God. But we might ask what this advantage looked like, practically speaking. And the short answer is that it meant Israel was especially well-placed to be able to identify the workings of injustice. The longer answer is what follows. And be warned, it stirs the blood somewhat. A few years ago now, the Sydney Morning Herald ran a story that positively made the blood boil. As the report itself pointed out, it wasn't a new story, for what it detailed had been going on for some decades now. Nevertheless, for all its importance, after a couple of days, the story had all but disappeared. I guess, like others, I hoped that this was because the police had taken over and were investigating the serious allegations. Only one had the sneaking suspicion, prompted by past experience, that this was probably not the case. One suspected that the decision had been made to let those involved sort it all out, even though the matters concerned were criminal in nature. It appeared as if the story had been voluntarily suppressed, but for what reason? I suspect that old nemesis, political correctness, but you be the judge. Be warned, though, it's a story that will make your blood boil. Only do not let your rage prevent you from listening all the way through. For I would like to think that on having heard all that there is to say, that your faith as a Catholic will have been deepened. The newspaper report had to do with a Muslim college in Auburn. Apparently the young men there are renowned for sexually harassing women, so much so a number of women have even alleged rape. It is beyond dispute that women are regularly abused at this college, that they are sworn at, made to submit to degrading behaviour and pressured into things that they would rather not do. One incident, the newspaper reported, was of 40 of these young men, all naked, surrounding one girl, all the while subjecting her to a torrent of vile abuse. At sporting events, they will surround female competitors and shower them with insults in order to put them off the game. These young Muslim men play on fear, on their greater physical strengths, and it seems on a certain knowledge that the religious authorities, the imams, the college authorities, and for that matter the police as well, will do nothing. If that doesn't make you angry, then what about this? Most astonishing of all is that this behaviour has been going on for at least Two decades. Indeed, those who have attended the college, who found the behaviour disgusting, say it has been going on for much, much longer than that. I mean, it's not just once, but many times over many years, that the relevant authorities have done nothing. What do they think? 
that this is trivial behaviour, something merely naughty to be winked at, boys being boys, just young men letting off steam. Let's get this clear, rapes have been alleged, harassment has been regularly reported, abuse is a byword, and the only thing that happens is that now and then one of these naughty boys might be told to leave by term's end. Nothing, nothing is being done. The college authorities, the police, the imams, for whatever reason, do nothing to put a stop to it. As the shock jocks would say, it's politically correct. This is unjust, morally and criminally unjust. What is it? Is it because Muslims above the law? Oh yes, we all know that this were any other college. Then you could be sure that the politically correct media would be all over it. The police would be thoroughly investigating the allegations and we wouldn't hear the end of it in a secular, liberal media. The North Shore and the Eastern Suburb opinion makers sipping at their lattes, oh, they would be outraged. There would be calls for royal commissions, but not when it's a Muslim college out at Auburn. Justice demands that we do not look away. Justice demands that we put a stop to this. Justice demands that these Muslims... Hang on. Hold on a minute. I do apologise. This is really embarrassing and I'm really... I've made an incredible mistake. How embarrassing. Look, I say it's really embarrassing. This is awful and again I apologise. I must really apologise to Muslims and to any Muslim college. You see, all the things that I said were happening in a college. Well, that's true. That was reported in the Sydney Morning Herald. But you see, the report was not about a Muslim college in Auburn. But in fact, it was about St Paul's, the Anglican College at Sydney University. As I say, I apologise, so let's take a breather. How are we feeling now? Any different? The same standards still apply, don't they? I mean, our blood is still boiling, isn't it? Funny, isn't it? Now that Muslims aren't in the picture, or images of young men who are, let us say, of a more swarthy complexion, now one can feel the blood cooling down. After all, these are Sydney University college boys. And they are good lads beneath it all. But you know, it is behaviour that has not been confined to St Paul's College. Some of you might remember how, back in the 1990s, similar things were reported happening at St Andrews, the Presbyterian College at Sydney University. And let's reflect on this fact a little. That was back in the 1990s. Many of those young men would now be among our top flight lawyers and barristers and business leaders, even our politicians. Or perhaps you don't want to reflect upon it, because after all it is a rather scary thought. Let's leave it as a blind spot, one that serves to hide what it is we all really know is there, but do not want to address. A good example is the chaser team of ABC fame, those wacky boys who have become rather well-paid celebrities. 
known for their courageous satire, their merciless expose of our society's hypocrisies. But you know what the strange thing is? Most of them were Sydney University boys from the 1990s. Indeed, a number were college boys. And they were there when all these things were going on. Strange, isn't it? But I cannot recall them ever addressing the carrying on in the colleges by the offspring of the rich and powerful. Anyway, you probably don't remember those incidents, even though they were written up in the press. Perhaps you are too young. But I do not think you are too young that you can't recall the story that opened this episode of ours. For that was reported only, what, four years ago? And then there were the more recent incidences and allegations concerning St. John's, a Catholic college at Sydney University. As I say, perhaps you don't remember these events, but I'm pretty sure you do remember those incidents reported in the papers of young Muslim males who harass and perhaps rape young women. Thing is, those men do tend to end up in prison, and that for anywhere up to 10 to 50 years. Thing is, God is no respecter of persons, and God hates injustice. Indeed, according to the Bible, God positively loathes injustice, and that especially in those who are of the people of God. In other words, those who own the oracles of God. If there is one thing more than injustice that God can't stomach, it is hypocrisy. For hypocrisy protects injustice by reason that it both justifies and conceals injustice. Thus, when Jesus condemned the Pharisees, he was not condemning Judaism, but rather the corruption of Judaism. And on more than one occasion, Jesus gave his sternest warnings to the apostles and the other disciples, not least concerning not abusing the little ones placed under their charge, which ought to give those clerics who perpetrated and covered up sex abuse pause for thought. Along with Dante, we might wonder what ring of hell they will find themselves in. You might want to look in this regard at Matthew 18.6 and Mark 9.47. The principle is summed up in Jesus' comment to the effect that to whom much is given, much is expected. That's Luke 12.48. As Catholics, which is to say as members of the Church that is the body of Christ, much indeed has been given to us. And thus much indeed is expected of us. We not only have the word of God that is scripture, but the word of God that is the apostolic tradition handed down to us by the successors of the apostles. We have truly been given, truly been entrusted with the oracles of God. The fundamental principle of grace is that it is given to us so that we can be a means of grace to others. Grace is not given, first and foremost, to us for our benefit. It benefits us when we use it to benefit others. Jesus said to the hypocrites, to those to whom much had been given, that they had made, quote, the word of God of no effect, 
That's in Mark 7.13. Meaning by this that they had effectively nullified the power of the word of God. And this raises a question then as to what the effect of the word of God ought to be. And thankfully the Bible tells us. For in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 to 13, we read that, quote, the word of God is a sharp two-edged sword that pierces through to the join of bone and marrow, soul and spirit, and that it thereby reveals our innermost hidden intentions and machinations. In short, those things that we want to remain hidden. In short, the word of God principally works not so much as to reveal God, but us. In revealing who we truly are and the kinds of machinations and duplicities we practice against others, and for that matter against ourselves, the word of God clears a place for the revealing of God. In other words, the word reveals to us that we are not God. Far from it, we are closer to being a devil. If there is no true and often painful revelation of who we are and what it is we are capable of doing, we run the risk of making the word of God of no effect. And we do this by turning the word of God into a weapon to damn others, thereby justifying our hatred of them. Jesus is the word of God, to whom the words of God in the Bible ultimately point us. It is pertinent then that a good deal of Jesus' mission was to make the blind see, to have us see what it is we would rather keep hidden behind our blind spot, and that especially from ourselves. The Bible is Catholic. To the Church is given the oracles of God, and it is so for many reasons that will, I hope, become clear in the course of this series of talks. The thing is that after St Paul said that Israel was advantaged in that she was entrusted with the very oracles of God, he then went on to explain what this meant. In Romans chapter 3, 9 to 20, it means that Israel is best placed to know that they and everyone else are sinners and that all are in need of the grace and mercy of God. For every Catholic, the Bible is Catholic. But for each of us as individuals, it ought to be Catholic, if only because it prompts us to a searching out of ourselves and gives to us a consequent desire for repentance and reconciliation. Finally, when the Bible does reveal God, it reveals that he loves justice and hates injustice. And when God became incarnate, he became fully revealed. So it was that when Jesus scourged the temple of profiteers and hypocrites, it was then revealed that God has blood that boils. You have been listening to Reading the Sacred Text by Dr. Robert Tilley. For more episodes, visit cradio.org.au.